Greetings, everyone. It's been a while since we've had a chance to get together. Hope you had a good Labor Day weekend. Um, I've taken the month of August off to respond to something I believe the Lord uh, wanted me to do, which was to create a class on uh, Babylon, living in Babylon. Things have changed in our country dramatically. And the country that I grew up in, not necessarily all of you, but the one I grew up in is no longer uh, a valid uh, option. Uh, the things I grew up with, the things I learned in school and so forth are no longer there. The, the values that, uh, that my mom and dad taught me and the ones that grandma and grandpa taught them uh, are not being taught anymore. So in the, in the light of that, uh, what are we to do? How are we to live? And uh, what does it look like living in an environment that is postmodern and post-Christian environment? Well, we're going to study that. The Scriptures have got some really good answers. But before we begin that, we need to understand what is this situation that we find ourselves in today? Well, how did we get to the place where we are today? And there's a number of, of interesting things that have happened. I started reading, uh, I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but I started, started this project really back in January of 2020, 2021. And um, uh, what I wanted to do was to respond in such a way that people could understand the situation and in. And it's going to be a brutal discussion. There's going to be some things you're going to hear that you may not like to hear, but they're there, and it's important that we deal with them because not just because we don't deal with them uh, doesn't mean it's not you know it's going to go away. It's like uh, like my dad always said when a ball bearing started to go out on the lawnmower. He says, "Ball bearings never get better. You got to fix them." You know, so we've got a lot of things that are, that need to get fixed, and we're going to start that now. So uh, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you the beginning of the of the cycle and how things got started so that you can understand uh, what the foundation is. And I'm going to kind of outline what we're going to go through over the next many weeks in order to get to the bottom uh, the answer to this. So uh, I'll go ahead and start PowerPoint, get my ace assistant here to help me. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, we call this COVID-19 because that's what—that's really what triggered this for me. And uh, the key fa the key scripture for this study is uh, Psalm 11:3, and you can see it right there. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Many of the times we're looking around, we can see that what we've grown up with and what we know seems to be gone. So. We're going to dig into this, but we're going to, I'm going to show you some, for t the books that I worked through on this, the first one was The Church in Babylon by Erwin Lutzer. Um, he began to study this, and, and I, uh, I, I've not, uh, Mr. Lutzer is the, was the um, uh, head senior pastor at the Moody Bible Church in Chicago for 36 years, uh, and he's a brilliant guy, and, um, and he did a deep analyzation of the church in Babylon, of, of what do we do today. He outlined the problems. Uh, that was the first book that triggered me. Now, I've read 19 books to, to support what I'm doing here. And so um, one of the things that I found out is 
It's kind of like a tar baby. You get your hand in it, and, you, and it just keeps getting. You just keep getting wrapped into it more and more. Uh, the second book that Mr. Lutzer wrote was "When a Nation Forgets God." It's very interesting um, when he outlines the steps that Hitler took in Nazi Germany, and it's important to know. Nobody's saying this country's Nazi Germany, but there are similarities as to the to what the Nazis eliminated and what we are dealing with today. Uh, it's very powerful, and and uh, we're going to go through this in detail and outline, give you an outline of of what we've lost and what what things are going on right now that we need to deal with. The next one is one of the more this this was the book that really um, made a difference to me. It's called No Place to Hide by Glenn Greenwald, and it his it's um, his story about his interactions with Edward Snowden. If you don't remember who Edward Snowden is, he released a bunch of documents uh, from the National Security uh, Agency, and um, of course everybody called him a traitor and this that and the other. But it turns out that the things that he released uh, are important for us to know. You, you, you need to know what our government is doing. And like I said, this isn't conspiracy theory or anything like that. This is just simply tells you that on that, on that book, he outlines what has actually happened, and uh, we're going to outline them in detail. Uh, the next set of books, uh, Deleted, uh, discusses how big tech moved from 2016 on to erase uh, Donald Trump. What they did to us, what they've done to the, to the media, the platforms. Um, it's a stunning book. Uh, then the next one has got kind of an unusual title, and it's not necessarily a title I would uh, have given a book, but it describes by Christopher Wiley what happened at Cambridge Analytica and how they broke, used Facebook to steal millions and millions and millions of people's identities is in essence what they've done. And when you, I, I, as soon as I read that book, I immediately got rid of anything I had on Facebook and other places, not because I'm paranoid, but, but I know what they're doing with it, and I don't want I, I to be involved in that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Then... If you're familiar with George Barna and uh, David Kinnaman, uh, the Barna Institute has written a lot of books and a lot of research on, on Christian attitudes and what's going on. And what David Kinnaman does in this book, Faith for Exiles, is he, he outlines and shows us and he develops what he calls digital Babylon. It's the Babylon that we're facing today. It's not necessarily the one from the Old Testament, but it's the one that we're facing today. He discusses that in detail. Then he also wrote another book called Good Faith about things that uh, we can begin to do in society when things are when, when we're in a post-Christian society. They don't want Christians. They don't like Christians. They don't value Christians. They lie about Christians, so forth and so on. He begins to deal with that. We'll talk about a number of those things. The third one um, was written about Google. Google is one of the most fascinating things that we'll study. 
Um, Google controls the communications for 97% of the world. Uh, if it doesn't go through Google, you probably don't see it. And so uh, when we find out what they're actually doing and what they're committed to and what they've said, uh, they are not our friends. They are committed to the destruction of the Christian worldview. Next one. Uh, what do you know about these people? Uh, what do you know about Assyria? Uh, what do you know about the Medes, the Persians, uh, Babylon? Uh, key players in that, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Sennacherib, Tiglath-Pileser III. I love that name. That's, I didn't have any kids, but I don't know if I, you know, Johnny Cash had a song about a boy named Sue. I'm not sure whether that's worse or Tiglath-Pileser. But um, we're going to learn about them. Uh, I don't know what you know about Nebuchadnezzar, but we're going to learn detail. And where these guys played a great role in how we got started and, and where we need to go from here. Now, let's look at this real quick, this little map. Uh, it's not drawn to scale, but it does give you an idea of where everything is. Uh, we... Babylon's what we're concerned about, but in order to understand what happened in Babylon, and a lot of what we see, a lot of what we cover is basically from the middle of 2 Kings uh, on, and 2 Chronicles, uh, discusses what happens to these guys. Uh, the Medes, the Persians, the Assyrians, and the Egyptians, and the Babylonians, and then you've got Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and you've got Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Uh, we're going to talk about, in order to understand Babylon, in order to understand what's going on here, you're going to need to have a surrounding understanding of the whole environment that these guys were in. Uh, what did Judah do? What did Israel do? Uh, what did King Hezekiah say? Josiah, and so forth and so on. You're going to have to learn about that. And we're going to dig into that in detail and give you some pretty good information uh, a little bit, maybe more history than you thought, but that's what that's what we're going to do. And then we've got the the foundations uh, that that we were warning, prophetic warnings that we received. Francis Schaeffer in a Christian manifesto, uh, William Wilberforce in Real Christianity. If I had to suggest one book that was not the Bible to read, it would be Real Christianity. Um, I love Mere Christianity is a great book by C.S. Lewis. It is a great book. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is a great book, although we've lost, uh, we don't read it. People don't read it anymore. But uh, Real Christianity, it was written in 1790s. And if you didn't know it was written in 1790s, you'd swear that it was from Fox News this week. Next book, Whatever Happened to the Human Race by Francis Schaeffer. All three of these books will provide a foundation of where we came from. And they will provide warnings. And Chuck Colson had a number of books written about that where, where we had warnings about what was going to happen and what was going on. So we're going to study the foundations of, of where we should be, where we're coming from, and what we were warned about. Uh, the last book that we'll look at is another one from Erwin Lutzer, We Will Not Be Silenced, Steps That We Can Take uh, 
to protect ourselves and to further the Christian agenda. You know, um, G.K. Chesterton said, Chris, it, this is not word for word, but this is exactly what he meant. Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. And as I pursued this, and I'll get into that in a little bit, how we got started here. As I pursued this, I found out that while the answers that we need to take are simple, they're not easy. Okay. The key scripture that we want to look at, and I want you to keep this. You can write this down just on the back of your of your hand or your notes or whatever. Matthew 10.1, Jesus summoned His twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every sickness. Now, COVID-19 in mid-January of 1920, <laughs> mid-January of 2020, I got sick and went to the ER uh, at St. Mary's in Athens. And uh, I was only there for about four hours, and there was nothing they could do for me at the time. Even though I did have COVID, the hospital would not keep me. They said, it's just COVID. Okay? My doctor, I went to my doctor and explained what was going on with my wife because I, I was really beginning to have issues. She goes to the doctor, and my doctor that I've had for 30 years told me, uh, when he found out I had COVID, said, uh, you can't come here until you're over COVID. She started, and you don't do this to my wife. You don't start arguing with her. Um, when she, when they told her that, she said he's sick. That's what he needs a doctor for. Well, we can't see him until he's over COVID. So we ended up switching doctors, and and that's another part of the story. But at what happened was on the 23rd of January, uh, I started getting sick. And my O2 level dropped to 79 at one measurement, and my temperature was 104. I sweated so bad that Julia had to change the sheets twice that night. They're completely soaked, just like they'd been in the shower. Uh, finally, I went to ER, and they kept me in room 14. And I told my beloved wife I would call her when I knew something. Now, while I was in the emergency room, for 30 hours, uh, I was grumpy to say the least, but when I found out the room number, I called Julian for whatever reason, Joe Biden's name came up, and I went absolutely ballistic. Uh, this is uh, January 24th in 2021, or two, pardon me, 2020. Uh, I started calling for Julia, and for whatever reason, Pardon me. This is in January of this year. I got my years mixed up. I called Julia and told her uh, what room I was in. She mentioned Joe Biden's name, and I, I literally went ballistic. I started cussing Biden, the election, God, Julia, and anyone I could think of. And the more I got angry, the you can see on the chart, my blood pressure just started to rise and rise and rise. And um, Julia said she heard the nurse come in and say something to the effect that, Mr. Hines, I'm going to get you something to help you relax. And so, uh, whatever it was that they gave me, uh, I went to sleep, which I desperately needed. I was not able to sleep. But within that framework, 
uh, I go to sleep, and as soon as I go to sleep, the Lord gives me a dream. Uh, in this dream, uh, the Lord and I were standing above the largest forest I had ever seen, and it looked as big as the Pacific Ocean. The, the Lord was standing on my left, and I was on my right, and at that point, I could see nothing but this forest. And the thing about the forest was, I knew it was in Poland. I knew that. And then all of a sudden, uh, in the middle, uh, the Lord showed me a path. I could see a path that ran through it, all the way through it, snaked around, and ended up, and it, in, it, it went out to the other end of the thing, uh, the other end of the forest. And I knew that that forest, I knew that was the election. And the Lord told me what was going on. And I, I remember my response was, well, yeah, I can see that. Like, duh. You know, it seemed so simple. And I understood it. And, uh, and then I woke up. But when I awoke, I could remember everything about the dream except what he explained to me from the election. I couldn't remember that. So uh, I went back to sleep in a little bit and had the exact same dream again. And I, now, I knew the election was working out as it should, and there's no need to panic or get upset about it, but again, when I awoke, I couldn't remember uh, what he explained to me, but as soon as I awoke, he gave me this scripture, Matthew 22, 34-40. And when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together, and one of them, who was a lawyer, tested him by asking him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And, in, 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 and I think it's in Luke's version. Uh, he says, And if you do these two, you get the rest of them right. You, you get them all right. So if you get these two correct, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself, uh, you get 100 on the test. You don't have to take the other 8, 10, 12, 15 questions, whatever it would be. Now, I knew exactly what he meant, but needed to clear, hear it clearly spoken. The Lord did indeed communicate to me the message I needed to hear, I can't use you. This is what the Lord said. I can't use you when you look more like the world than you do me. You hate those I love. You're angry all the time. You can't love others because you hate yourself. And he said, these words were not given to me in anger, but rather like this is what you need to deal with, and I will not be able to move forward in my calling until I deal with this issue. I did not sense condemnation of any kind, but rather a simple, this is the problem you need to deal with. I wanted to deal with this issue, but had no idea how to proceed. Now, along came Mike Bickle. Now, in, in 1984, Julie and I were, were living in Tulsa. We moved to Tulsa in 1981, and we lived in Tulsa throughout the 80s until we moved to Athens. In 1984... 
uh, Mike Bickle and Bob Jones and a man named Augustine Acala came to our church and began teaching on prophetic ministry, which Julie and I had only been baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1978. So it had only been a few years since we had had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We both spoke in the Spirit. We both prayed in tongues. We understood it, but we'd not been around any teaching on prophetic ministry. So these guys came and began to teach on prophetic ministry. Now, if you're familiar with Mike Bickle, then he started the International House of Prayer. Uh, and now, I guess, uh, even in one of his teachings, he mentioned uh, there's 40,000 uh, prayer sites that are open 24 hours a day that you can get prayer from. Uh, that's worldwide. I think that's a tremendous a testimony to how effective what he did was. But uh, I'd never heard anyone teach on the love of God other than Kenneth Copeland uh, taught a book that he wrote back in the 70s. It's not available now. It's called The Love Walk of Jesus. And um, and when I heard that, I understood, because I, I, my background was, was difficult, and I, uh, I struggled with intimacy and, and, and loving other people. You know, when you're fighting all the time, it's hard to love people. But anyway, uh, as a kid, I grew up, and I did, I, those things just didn't connect with me. So uh, I'd never heard anyone other than Kenneth Copeland teach on that. And when I did hear people teach on the love of God, it was always uh, that God loves pe other people, and you need to love other people. Nobody had ever spoken to me about God loving myself. Nobody, I've never heard that. And so... Uh, we proceeded, uh, and I mentioned that, um, Mike Bickle focused on two specific scriptures. Um, John 15, and I'm using the New American Standard, the 2020 version. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Then he said, John 17, 20 through 23. I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, uh, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have also given to them, so that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them just as you loved me. Now, uh, I ran across those scriptures. I ran across this teaching from Mike Bickle and it was on uh, abiding in God's love. And uh, when, I, when I went to the teaching, um, I'll explain where we what happened when I got there, but I'll go back here and give you the interpretation of the forest, what the what was going on there. Uh, the forest, being in Poland, represents the beginning of a long battle. Poland was where Hitler started World War II when he invaded in September of 39. The vastness of the forest shows how difficult it will be to see all the battle elements we will be facing, and what President Trump identified as the swamp 
is vast and well hidden. Its borders are far away and difficult to ascertain. Now, the very discernible path the Lord showed me indicates there is very good explanation as to why things have happened the way they have. The Lord showed me the entire thing and it made perfect sense. The path was not a straight line but would wound its way through the forest and look like any good river or creek would, or as we'd say in Indiana, creek, would look as it meandered through the forest. My inability to remember what the Lord told me doesn't take away from what He told me. In the dream, I knew why it happened, and I knew that it was going to work out. Once I woke up, I simply had to trust that He knows what He's doing, and it'll work out. Uh, having the dream twice is the same thing to me as when Jesus said, Verily, verily. It was for point of emphasis for me to remember that He does not know what He's talking about, or that He does know what He's talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about sometimes. But He does know what He's talking about, and His Word is all I need to operate with full confidence that it will work out, as He said, even when I can't see the answer right away. Now, there's a prophetic woman from Canada on um, the Elijah list. And my wife uh, pulls all of these things off. I don't. My, my wife is my administrator and my filter. She pulls off these things. And, and listen to the opening of her, uh, Marie, Faith Marie Basco, I believe her name is. She opened up recently with this note. I was recently awakened in the middle of the night with a burning question in my heart. What would the Apostle Paul and disciples do in the situations that believers are now faced with in Canada, the United States, and other parts of the world? How would they live and walk and comport themselves? In other words, how would they live in Babylon? Um, what she came up with is what we're going to be talking about. We're going, to walk, we're going to look at the background. You've got to get the foundation right. Once you get the foundation right and we look at the background, then we're going to tie Scriptures to it. And I'm telling you, when you start seeing the Scriptures, and I started reading what Edward Snowden actually wrote and what the government, and why he did what he did, when I started reading them, I began to, I, I've got notes in the book. This is Scripture. This is Scripture. This is Scripture. He's, quoted, he's, he's telling you scriptural reasons for what he did, but he's not a believer. Now, the question is, does God use unbelievers uh, to show these things? You bet he does. He sure does. However, his scriptures are tied to how we need to act. And I'll go back to what G.K. Chesterton said. Christianity hasn't been tried and found a warning. It's been found difficult. What I found out, is that the things God wants me to do and the things that God has specifically told me to do in the Scriptures, I found out when the push comes to shove, a lot of them I don't want to do. I'm angry because He's asking me to do them. I don't think they're right. I think this. And so uh, the best answer to this is not to go to these other books. You go to the other books and find out what the problem is, but the best answer and the only answer you can get is in the Scriptures. Now, I'll leave you uh, to, on this session 
with uh, Psalm 10. I would ask you to go to Psalm 10 and read Psalm 10. It's beautiful uh, because it seems like other people have encountered these problems ahead of time. Uh, Why do you stand far away, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the needy. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his soul's desire, and the greedy person curses and shows disrespect to the Lord. The wicked in his haughtiness does not seek him. There is no God in all his schemes. His scheme, his ways succeed at all times, yet your judgments are on high. As for his enemies, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I will not be moved through generations. I will not be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing, deceit, oppression. Under his tongue is harm and injustice. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. He kills the innocent in the secret places. What does that sound like? He kills the innocent in secret places. You could just put a note out to the side, abortion. His eyes surreptitiously watch for the unfortunate, and he lurks in secret like a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch other people, the needy. He catches the needy when he pulls them into his net, when he crushes the needy one who cowers. And unfortunate people fall by his mighty power, and he says to himself, God has forgotten. And you can finish reading the rest of that. Uh, the point is, we're going to cover these things. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to be shocked by what you hear. And I'm not pulling any punches. Um, it's not me, but I, this is so important, I want to make sure I get it right. So I'm going to close with prayer, and, uh, and I'll see you in the next time. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this class. I thank you for these people that are listening. I ask you, Father, to guide me in your words and let them be hit home, Father, and show us what you want us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. E eu o vejo de coração aberto Para receber o pecador E eu oro estrela alva brilha em mim Brilha a luz Meu viver